I'm saved, are you? Let's see it. I found a That's a good way to start the morning. <laughs> Proverbs 16.9 says, a person's, a person's heart plans his way, but the Lord determines his steps. That's a hard lesson sometimes, isn't it? Let's pray together. Lord, we're so thankful that we can come together this morning and have this time of celebration. We thank you for the eternal life that we can have through your son, Jesus. And we're here in part today to celebrate that. But more importantly, we're here to worship you and your son, Jesus, and through the Holy Spirit. We're thankful for the blessings we have through him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Man, we are awake and kicking this morning. Must be the cooler weather or something. I don't know, but it's good. We're glad that you're here. We're here to lift up the Lord together. Amen. Amen. And when we do that today, we're going to do that today. Make sure you fill out your connection card for us this morning. If you're watching us online, please do the same. And at this time, we're going to continue lifting up our voices to the Lord in song. You may be seated at this time.
rings a melody, there rings a melody of love. Twill be my endless theme in glory, with the angels I will sing. Twill be a song with glorious harmony, when the chords of He's going to hit it again. <laughs> Funny thing is, that doesn't come into my sermon time. I just keep going. In second service, sir, you know, sometimes wonder, are we going to get the roast out of the oven? Well, that's not true. Everybody goes out and eats. So It's good to see everybody this morning. It's a beautiful morning, by the way. I almost got attacked by a hummingbird trying to fill, fill, fill their feeder this morning. He's like, get away. I said, good, go hungry then. Today we're going to embark on a four-week series that delves into the, to this challenging topic of trusting God when he seems silent and distant. Our journey is going to draw, some insp- we'll draw inspiration from the book of Habakkuk. Do you all know that was in the Bible, right? <laughs> One of the minor prophets. And Habakkuk wrestled with questions and objections that still today resonate with us. It's not something that's like, oh, okay, that has no relevance today. It was several thousand years ago. Together, we're going to explore the depths of Habakkuk's struggles and seek answers to questions such as, where is God in the face of injustice? Why, does, why do wickedness and suffering persist? How can we maintain a trusting God with our hearts when our eyes perceive conflicting realities? Habakkuk was one of the prophets of the Old Testament. His name means to embrace or wrestle. We don't know a lot about the life of this prophet, but we know that the book of Habakkuk gives us some valuable insights into his life and his ministry. Now, Habakkuk prophesied during the the tumultuous time in the history of Judah, likely around in the 7th century, around 625 B.C. During During this period, talk about, anyway... During this period, the nation of Judah was facing moral and spiritual decline. Doesn't sound familiar, does it? (laughs) Injustice, violence, idolatry, social unrest were prevalent. These things that were happening around him caused Habakkuk to question God's apparent silence and seeming absence of justice. He witnessed the wickedness of his society, and he longed for God to intervene. This is what he was dealing with. 
His message is really distinctive among the prophetic books because it takes the form of a dialogue between the prophet and God. Habakkuk raised his concerns and his questions to the Lord, articulating his frustrations while seeking understanding, trying to get answers to, I know who you are, God, but I know what I see. But this doesn't seem to work together. Habakkuk learns profound truths about God's character, about his justice, about his faithfulness through this conversation, and it's a valuable one for us. The book of Habakkuk is divided into three chapters, each representing a different conversation or lamentation that he's laying before God. The prophet's journey unfolds as he moves from frustration and doubt to eventually to a place of trust and, to, and surrender. Habakkuk's experience is a powerful reminder that it's possible to maintain faith and hope even in the midst of uncertainty and turmoil. In other words, those things can work together. Through Habakkuk's ministry, we have, we, even though his ministry may have been brief, excuse me, his message still resonates today. It's still important. His unwavering pursuit of the truth, his willingness to engage in a dialogue with God, offers valuable lessons for those who follow Jesus, encouraging us to bring our doubts to God, to bring our fears, to bring our questions, and to find solace in his unfailing love and sovereignty. In other words, when we have that relationship with God, we can take things to him. You ever been in a marriage relationship and you were afraid to bring things to a spouse because you knew it was going to be tough and it was going to be maybe hurtful? We do the same with God sometimes. And we have to have that confidence in God that we can go to him knowing that he will still love us. The big idea of this whole series is during this four-week series, it's going to guide us in navigating the tensions between our faith and what we see in the world. It will help us to find solace, hope, and a renewed trust in God's sovereignty, even when his ways appear very perplexing. Drawing from Habakkuk's experiences, we will learn to embrace the mysteries of God's timing and purposes as we seek to align our hearts with his divine plan instead of the other way around. Through this series, we may discover, I hope that we can discover the strength to trust God amid silence and distance, knowing that he's ever-present and he's working in ways that we may not fully comprehend. Now, for today's particular message, the big idea is this, that God is big enough for our questions and our objections. He invites us to bring them to him in dialogue and to trust him with them. Whatever's on your heart, whether it's joyful or whether it's just flat-out anger, confusion, you can take it to God and know he's still going to love you. So this morning we'll be in Habakkuk chapter 1. We will start in verses 1 through 4. It says this, This is the oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw. How long, Lord, must I cry for help? But you do not listen. I call out to you, violence, but you do not deliver. Why do you force me to witness injustice? Why do you put up with the wrongdoing? Destruction and violence confront me. Conflict is present, and one must endure strife. For this reason... Oops, sorry about that, I'm not keeping up with you. For this reason, the law lacks power, and justice is never carried out. Indeed, the wicked intimidate the innocent. For this reason, justice is perverted. I'm just amazed how relevant 
Old Testament scripture can be yet today. Oh, you know what I did? Okay, I, I forgot to do something there. Never mind. All right. Our, <laughs> I messed my slides up. The first observation we make from, from uh, Habakkuk is simply this, the frustration. I mean, I think when you read that, you can just feel it dripping from the pages. Because here's Habakkuk. He knows the character of God. He knows that God is holy. He knows the nation of Israel is supposed to have a special place with God. But yet, what he sees around him is such a contradiction to that. We're introduced to Habakkuk in this passage. And remember, his name means to embrace, or he, he that embraces, or like a wrestler. In wrestling, a person tries to exert their will on someone else. You're trying to take them down for the count. And this is precisely what Habakkuk is saying to God in these first four verses. He says, God, don't you see what's happening? And if you do see what's going on, why aren't you doing anything about it? And for many of us, I would venture to say that these are very familiar questions, very frustrating questions. Habakkuk begins his lamentation by expressing his deep frustration with God. I mean, really, to be honest with you, at this point, he is not happy with God because it's not because it's an ego issue or anything, or it's a simple issue of, God, I know you, and I know what's going on with your people, and nothing's happening. He sees injustice, injustice. he sees violence, he sees evil prevailing in his society, and he can no longer bear this burden. This is why he's saying, God, why are you making me see this? I can't take it anymore. It shouldn't be this way. You ever felt that way when you look around you? It shouldn't be this way. These things shouldn't be happening. You know, that person who's been maiming and killing people is going to live to be 150 in prison. Well, I know somebody, you know, 28 years old or whatever, who's died of cancer. How, how can this be? And then we see people around us that's seemingly evil and they're prospering. And that you know many, many people who love the Lord who seem to be struggling. We're like, Lord, what is going on here? Just like Habakkuk is experiencing, we often find ourselves surrounded by the brokenness of our world. If you've got your eyes open, you can't miss it. We witness suffering, we witness iniquity, and we, and, and we witness unanswered questions that can shake our faith. We cry out, how long, O oh Lord, how long must we endure? When are you going to put a stop to this? In these moments of frustration, we have to remember to turn to God and to seek, his, to seek his guidance. Many times we just don't. The message of Habakkuk is extremely relevant today because the, question that, the questions that Habakkuk is bringing before God, there's basically 12 questions that people have about God, um, things that, may, that make them maybe not want to believe. And out of those 12, about 95% of every other question springs forth from, the, from those 12. And the question that people struggle with, and this is one of them, I think it's about number five or something, when it comes to the belief or existence of God, is they'll say this, and you've probably heard this, if God is a loving God, then why dot, dot, dot? And in this case, why is there suffering? And this, in his lamentation, Habakkuk lays out an argument and a complaint before God. He's kind of putting an argument out there, but he's also complaining. He says, Lord, come on do something. Why are we dealing with this? Why is this happening? He questions why God allows him to witness such injustice and why evil seems to be so prevalent 
and almost victorious. See, at this point in the nation of Israel's history, they had turned away from God. They were indulging in wickedness and straying from his ways, which I don't know about you, but I find it just amazing that this could even happen, considering their history. But when you forget your history, you're going to have problems. As a faithful prophet proclaiming the Lord, excuse me, God's truth, Habakkuk felt disheartened by the seemingly lack of positive impact his message had on the people. Habakkuk was doing his job, but it seemed like no one was responding. And then he was just frustrated. And he's like, God, am I even making a difference? Why am I doing this? He observed that instead of being held accountable, those who practice evil acts and injustice often went unpunished, and sometimes it appeared they received rewards for it. Now, Habakkuk's frustration stemmed from a con the contrast between his understanding of God's righteousness and the reality that he witnessed. And if you've been a Christian for very long, you've probably had this same frustration. We serve a holy and righteous God, but yet it seems like, in our society particularly, it's just circling his reign hard and fast. You know, we're having discussions that 10 years ago, even five years ago, you're like, why am I having to worry about they, them, whatever? What happened to he and she? I mean, and, and we're celebrating that. And if you, it's just, it just amazes me what we're seeing going on. You know, we think nothing of public officials being corrupt, taking money and bribery. We, we think nothing of these things. We're like, oh, it's okay. You know, we think nothing of going into debt like crazy as a nation just so I can have what I want right now and not care a bit about my kids, my children and grandchildren's futures. There's just so many things you're like, wow. See, Habakkuk longed for justice to prevail and for righteousness to be upheld. But the prevailing circumstances contradicted his beliefs and a little bit of his faith. In his state of confusion, in the state of confusion, Habakkuk is seeking answers from God. He's desiring to understand why God has permitted such things to happen. Habakkuk's experience resonates with us today as we grapple, as we grapple with evil and injustice in our world. We see it all the time. We may question, well, God, why do you allow these things to persist? And why do our efforts to promote righteousness seem to be futile? Why do they seem to even be persecutable in this day and age? It's, it's sad. It's tough. In these moments, though, what we have to bring ourselves back to is we have to find solace in turning to God, just like Habakkuk does. He's seeking wisdom and guidance. He's trusting. He's trusting he's aware of the concerns, that God's aware of the concerns, and that God has a greater plan at work. He just kind of would like to know a little about that plan, because what he, sees, <clears throat> what he sees before him doesn't match what he sees from God. Habakkuk reaches his frustration. It reaches the point where he's willing to challenge God, expressing a deep yearning for God to demonstrate that his expectations of justice and righteousness are well-grounded. So he's basically challenging God. In his dialogue with the Lord, he is boldly raising his concerns and his questions, seeking reassurance and understanding. And what's amazing here is Habakkuk's willingness to question God in, 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 this, in, in this book is a passionate pursuit of truth and a deep desire to see God's righteousness prevail. That's really what he's looking for. He's seeking truth 
and he wants to see God's righteousness prevail. Habakkuk really has nothing to gain from this other than he's trying to figure out why is this so confusing. Habakkuk longs to vindicate God's name and intervene in the face of evil and injustice. This is what he's trying to do. Habakkuk's challenge to God, it's not driven by rebellion, it's not driven by doubt, but rather it's driven by an emotional plea for God to reveal his purposes and to bring justice into a world that seems to be spiraling into chaos. Isn't it amazing that he was dealing with that then, and don't you feel like we're kind of dealing with the same thing now? I think every generation feels like they are, but this is so relevant today. This aspect of Habakkuk's story is extremely powerful. It's a powerful reminder that it's acceptable to approach God with honest doubts and frustrations. I was raised in a faith that says you don't question anything. The priest says it, it goes. I don't live life that way. I question things. And I love the fact that my God loves me enough that he's a big God that I can bring big questions to. And that I don't have to worry about getting hit by a lightning bolt. You know, I love Gideon. Lord, are you sure? Can you do this? Uh, can we do this this way again? God didn't chastise him. God understands we have doubts. Because reality of what we live in doesn't match the righteousness of God many times. And for sometimes, for, particularly for new Christians, that's confusing. And it's also confusing for the world around us. Well, if you're God's a loving God, then why this? God's desire, excuse me, God desires a genuine relationship with his people. And he invites us to bring our deepest concerns and our questions before him. Amid our own challenges and uncertainties, we can find inspiration in Habakkuk's example, knowing that God welcomes our heartfelt inquiries and is willing to reveal his truth to us. And I just find that so comforting because when you have, if you have a good relationship with someone, you can basically, if you put the terms correctly to try not to be hurtful, you should be able to say whatever you want to say or need to say to them. You know, there's times where you maybe need to say something, you're supposed to say, honey, I got something I need to share with you. This is really hard. I really don't want to do it, but I need to share, share this with you. It's, it may be hurtful. Instead of just blurting it out, you know. Well, God, if we have, if we, he wants that kind of relationship with him to have with you, I should say, that you can take whatever you've got to him. You don't have to fear he's going to reject you. You don't have to fear he's going to send you to hell over it. Just like with your spouse, you should be able to say what you need to say in a kind way, obviously, but you should be able to talk to one another. And sometimes that's difficult. Let's look at verses 5 through 11. It says this. Look at the nations and pay attention. Now, this is God responding to Habakkuk. You'll be shocked and amazed, for I will do something in your lifetime that you will not believe, even though you are forewarned. Look, I'm about to empower the Babylonians, that ruthless and greedy nation. They sweep across the surface of the earth, seizing, and seizing dwelling places that, that do not belong to them. They are frightening and terrifying. They decide for themselves what is right. Their horses are faster than leopards and more alert than wolves in the desert. Their horses gallop. Their horses come a great distance. Like a vulture, they swoop down and quickly devour their prey. All of them intend to do violence. Every face is determined. They take prisoners as easily as one scoops up sand. They mock kings and laugh at rulers. 
They laugh at every fortified city. They build siege ramps and capture them. They sweep by like the wind and pass on. But the one who considers himself God, a God, excuse me, will be held guilty. Well, so Habakkuk, he's frustrated. So he goes to God, and God has a solution. In response to Habakkuk's complaint, God provides an answer that reflects the severity of his justice. He assures Habakkuk that the evil and injustice displayed by the Israelites has not gone unnoticed. God reveals that he's aware of their actions, and he's preparing to take corrective measures to discipline them. In in Matthew Henry's commentary on this passage, he says this, Despite God's patient and long-suffering nature, the Israelites have persisted in their unrepentant ways. Therefore, God determines a different approach, determines that a different approach is necessary. The consequences of their actions will not be evaded, and the discipline they face will result from their choices. God's response in this passage reminds us of the importance of accountability and justice. His actions demonstrate that he does pay attention to evil and to injustice. While his timing and methods may not align with our expectations, we can trust that God's justice will ultimately, is ultimately rooted in his perfect wisdom. And I thought that was a very, a very succinct comment on this passage. As we reflect on Habakkuk's uh, dialogue with God, we are reminded that God's discipline is motivated by two things, by love and his desire for repentance. And by the way, you know, most of us have parented our kids. If you're parenting your kids, <clears throat> that's what your, your discipline should be motivated by, love and the desire for repentance and change in your child. Parents' job is not to punish their kids. It's to discipline them. Sometimes through experiencing the consequences of our actions, we are uh, motivated or prompted to turn back to God to seek forgiveness and guidance. And this is exactly what God was looking to do with the nation. In our own lives, we witness injustice or experience consequences of wrongdoing. We can find solace that know, knowing that God's justice will prevail. When it's all said and done, God wins. We can find and take this as an opportunity for self-reflection, repentance, and alignment with God's will. So Habakkuk is like, God, this is all going on. God says, I got a solution for you. But let's look on verses 12 through 17 for Habakkuk's response to God. He says this, Lord, you've been active from ancient times, my sovereign God. You are immortal. Lord, you have made them your instrument of of judgment. Protector, you have anointed them as your instrument of punishment. You are too just to tolerate evil. You are unable to condone wrongdoing. So why do you put up with such treacherous people? Why do you say nothing when the wicked devour those who are more righteous? Excuse me. Why do you say nothing when the wicked devour those more righteous than they are? You made people like fish in the sea, like animals in the sea that have no ruler. The Babylonian tyrants pull them all up with a fish hook. He hauls them in with his net, or with a throw of his net. When he catches them in his dragnet, he's very happy. Because of the success, he offers sacrifices to his net, to his throne net, and burns incense to his dragnet. 
For because of them, he has plenty of food and more than enough to eat. He will then continue to find and empty his throne net. He will always destroy nations and spare none. So this kind of leads to what we call the dilemma. You ever heard the term, be careful what you ask for? Well, this is kind of Habakkuk. In response to Habakkuk's cry, the Lord reveals his plan to bring justice and righteousness to the land. And God assures Habakkuk, he says, that he sees the wickedness, and boy, he's going to take some punitive action. However, God's solution is not what Habakkuk expects. When you read verses 12 through 17, what he's saying, he says, you're going to bring up a more wicked people than yours to bring justice? I'm really confused now. How can you do that? The Lord's declaring that he will rise up the, raise up the Babylonians. They were ruthless, and they were, uh, they were going to execute judgment. And in some of your Bibles, you'll read the word Chaldeans. Basically, what you need to understand, just real quickly, quick history lesson, the Babylonian Empire, the first one, took place, I think, about 1790 to 1548. That is, have you heard of Hammurabi's Code? I think most of us here. That's the Babylonian Empire, the first one. He was a part of that. The second Babylonian Empire, which is called the Chaldean, and it's called Neo-Babylonian, meaning Second Empire, or just the Babylonians, which the New, New English Standard does to keep from confusion, started about 625 B.C., right roughly around then. And you remember Nebuchadnezzar. He's the big cheese during that time. And the Neo-Babylonian Empire, the Chaldeans, ended in, in five... I just lost it, 540. In the book of Daniel, when the, when the Medes and Persians came in with King Darius, the date just slipped my ever-slipping mind. I think it was 545, 625, yeah. Anyway, now I've really messed myself up. But, <laughs> but anyway, so if some of your Bibles, you read Chaldeans, it's the same thing. Um, I, just, I, I just use Babylonians, it's just easier. So anyway, so the Lord is raising up the Babylonians, and these people were pretty, they're pretty ruthless. And this revelation from God challenges Habakkuk's understanding of justice, and it brings up a whole new set of questions. <laughs> There's a lesson here for us. When we're seeking answers from God, sometimes we're going to get responses we never anticipated. I don't think in a million years that Habakkuk thought that God was going to raise up a more evil nation to punish his nation, to discipline his nation. Yet there's those moments that we're called to trust his sovereignty and to believe in, that his plan is greater than ours. And Habakkuk, in the state of confusion, at some point he's going to have to figure out, okay, God knows what he's doing. Habakkuk grapples with the Lord's plan, wrestling with the dilemma of how, how a just God can even think of using wicked people to bring correction to his wicked people. He questions God's ways, and he's seeking understanding and resolution. He wants to understand. We, too, encounter situations that shake our faith and leave us with a profound sense of confusion. And if you haven't ever had that, you probably, have, you probably haven't been thinking. We may wonder why God permits certain events or allows, certain evil, or allows evil to persist or allows certain people to get into power in these moments, we can find solace knowing that God is not indifferent to our concerns because he's listening. He invites us to bring our doubts and our fears and our questions before him. Habakkuk is, Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's example teaches us that even 
in our dilemma, we can maintain an open and an honest relationship with our God. And that's so important for us to understand. In those times when you're confused, that's okay. I've told people, we have a big God who can answer big questions. And you should not be afraid to bring those to God. What I tell people, though, is be willing to listen. Many times we have a preconceived notion. We have a big question for a big God, but we already know the answer we want, and so we don't listen to God. As we conclude chapter 1, it's crucial for us to recognize that Habakkuk remains engaged in a continuous dialogue with God. Even when he's confused, he doesn't throw up his hands and say, well, this is stupid. I'm, gonna, I'm just done. I don't, this, you don't match my expectations, so therefore... I don't believe in you anymore. And how many people have you dealt with in your life that don't believe in God because God isn't what, he, what they want him to be? If God is God, why did he let this happen? If God is God, why did this happen? If God is God, why? If God is so good, why? And because, they don't meet, because God doesn't meet the expectations of what they want, they just turn and walk away. I've, I've got friends that have done it before. But despite his frustration and his questions, he doesn't turn away from God in anger, disgust or despair. This serves as an important lesson for us that more engaged in dialogue with God, even in towns, times of doubt or disagreement, or even when it's time to, to even when we have these times we question that God really cares, we have to understand that he understands our dilemma, that he is engaged with us, that he's listening. But we must resist the temptation to distance ourselves from God. I've seen it so many times, and I bet everyone in here knows people that have distanced themselves from God because uh, God, because he couldn't. I remember I was watching, uh, when I was reading um, and watching the videos for uh, Lee Strobel's book, Case for Christ, and Billy Graham, remember Billy Graham, great, great uh, evangelist. I can't remember the guy's name now, it slipped my ever-slipping mind, and, but this guy was almost going to be as, as famous as Billy Graham until he started having questions. And then he doubted the existence of God because he didn't get the answers he wanted. And I remember seeing the interview with this guy as he, got, as he was very old, and I just felt so sorry for him that he, in a roundabout way, took the place of God because he didn't agree with what God was doing, so therefore he can't believe in that God, and he set up his own, more or less. And, and we can do that. But Habakkuk's example teaches us that we can bring our questions, our doubts to God. Our honest inquiries don't threaten God because he's big, remember? He invites us to wrestle with him and to engage in genuine, open dialogue. However, in the midst of questioning, we got to remain humble and remember that God is the ultimate potter and we are the clay. We can seek understanding and express our desires, but ultimately, we must surrender to his sovereign will. In wrestling with God, we must maintain an open heart for his inspection. We should not only bring our questions, but also allow, also invite God to search our hearts to reveal any areas where we may be in conflict with his heart. In the psalmist prayer in Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, it serves as a beautiful reminder. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offense, offensive way in me and lead me to the, way, to, the, to, the to the way everlasting. Our faith journey may encounter dilemmas, uncertainties, 
that challenge our trust in God. However, by following Habakkuk's example, we can bring our questions to God while remaining open to inspection and guidance. We must always strive to align our will with his. Trusting his plans are more significant than our own and that he will lead us in the path of everlasting life. Furthermore, as we reflect on Habakkuk's journey, we see that frustration can lead to transformation, and we'll see that as the book develops. In our frustration, we turn to God, seeking understanding and answers. We may not always comprehend his ways, but we begin to trust as his plan unfolds. Through the prophet's story, we can find hope, encouragement to persevere in our own journeys of faith. Remember that God is present amid our frustrations, offering guidance, wisdom, and comfort, as he will with Habakkuk. We may be inspired by Habakkuk's example to continue to seek God's presence, even in the face of our own personal dilemmas. This morning, we are going to have a song of invitation. And if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we invite you to come forward. I know a lot of times when it comes to the issues with faith, for some reason, we've kind of been programmed to say, you know what, I better not question God. He's too big. But you know what? Because he's big, you can bring those big questions to him because he's not afraid of them. You know, have you ever been with somebody and you've asked them a question and they start calling you names? The argument degenerates or the question. You know why? Because they don't have the answers. Once somebody, you get into a discussion with somebody and name calling starts and the insults start, you, I hate to say it this way, but you basically won because they got nothing. They have nothing. But God won't degenerate into calling you names and to threatening you because he has the answers. But do you have enough faith in him to bring them? This morning, if you have a decision to make for Christ, we invite you to come forward this morning as we stand and sing our song of decision. If you're an immersed believer and would like to come forward and place membership at First Christian, we'd love to have you come forward. And if you're struggling, maybe you've got some of those doubts this morning, you need some prayer, if you come forward, I'd be glad to pray with you or one of our elders, Roger Wood. But if you have a decision to make for Christ or need prayer, we invite you to come forward as we stand together and sing our song of decision, Thy Word.
seated. you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver and gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. So your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. Greater love has no man than this. He laid down his life for his friends. Have you ever listened to a sermon and afterward thought, about what was the very heart of that sermon. What was it all about? Not that you were confused by what had been said, but to sum it all up in just a few words, 
what was the very core, the very heart of that sermon? Or maybe, <clears throat> maybe you've read a book, and later when discussing it with a friend, you stated that in your opinion, what was the whole book about? What was the heart of the book? Or I'm sure you've been talking with, maybe you've been talking with someone and you've said, well, the heart of the matter is, you mentioned what you think it was. In any of these instances, the heart of the matter is what is the most important of all, the very center of it, what everything else depends upon. Without the heart of it, the rest of it would just be so much stuff and useless. Our bodies depend upon our heart. Without our heart, the body would cease to function. We couldn't live. Well, personally, <clears throat> I'm convinced that without the heart of worship, communion service, our worship time would not be complete. It would lose much of its meaning. And I say this because here it is, here it is, as in no other place, as in nothing else that we do, here it is that we need Jesus, who laid down his life for us, his friends. Here it is that we are strengthened and encouraged and uplifted and drawn close to our blessed Redeemer. This is the heart of our Sunday morning He has invited us to meet him here. It is here that we meet him face to face, mind to mind. After a week of busyness, difficulties, worries, concerns, and just plain everyday activities, come to meet Jesus, remembering, expressing our thanksgiving, casting aside everything else, and dwelling in the peace Here is the very heart of the matter, the very heart of why we have come together Sunday morning. I've used the old hymn many times because it expresses, I think, the heart of the matter. Here, O oh my Lord, I see thee face to face. Here would I touch and handle things unseen. Here, grasp with firmer hand the eternal grace. And all my weariness upon thee lean. Here would I feed on the bread of God. 
Here drink with thee the royal wine of heaven. Here would I lay aside each earthly load, and here taste afresh the balm given. Father in heaven, we come to this, the heart of the matter, heart of our service, the time when we come to you, we come to Jesus, we just lay it all before him, and we receive the peace that only can come from him. We thus partake, may we be strengthened, encouraged, and brought face to face with our Lord and our Master. In Jesus' name, amen. On the inside of your bulletin, we have uh, our announcements for this week. Uh, Young at Heart takes place on Monday. We have somebody from Echo Hope Ranch, Echoing Hope Ranch that will be speaking. We have um, all of our activities this evening with Jerry's group, Roger's group's meeting. We also have an announcement about uh, Larry and Brenda Beely are looking to try to put a group together at some point to go to Israel. Uh, Peach's Pantry is still looking for items. Operation Christmas Child's taking uh, donations of school supplies. Lori's uh, life group will begin on September 6th. We have information on that, and we're all still seeking rectangular, empty Kleenex boxes for things that uh, Jan does with the kids in, in our Kids' Way worship. I think that's all the announcements we have in here. 
So on the inside, on the back of your bulletin, we have um, prayer concerns, and we've got a praise that Peaches Pantry is moving into its new space on Commerce Drive. So that's, um, that's awesome. Glad that the Lord provided for them. We have a lot of other things we're praying for. We have health concerns. Um, keep Roger Snyder in your prayers. Um, we sent out a thing about they were wanting to get to church and needing some help with that, so check your email for that. We have many other people we've been praying for. We have troops who are deployed. We've been praying for Peaches Pantry and Southern Mexico Mission. And, of course, we have a lot of things circling around us in our nation, and we want to continue to be in prayer. So at this time, let's stand together. I'll give you the opportunity to go to the Lord in prayer in silence, and then I'll close us in prayer, and our praise team will lead us in a song. Let's, let's pray. Father, we ask that you be with all the prayers that were lifted up to you this morning, <laughs> that you be with all of the people we have in our bulletin that have a variety of things happening. We're thankful for Peaches Pantry's uh, ability to find a place to be able to, to do their mission. And Father, I pray that as we live life this week, that we can just develop that real relationship with you that allows us to come to you in our times of sorrow, joy, our times of frustration, knowing that you're a big God who can take our big questions. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. spending time with us at church today. Have a blessed week in the Lord, everybody.